0: What you are listening to is the sound of 35mm film being fed through an Airy 435 MOS camera. At one point in time, this was the sound you heard on every movie set. The noise you would hear when everything came together. The cast, the locations, props, and lighting. All tweaked and prepared for a specific moment captured on film. Modern filmmakers really don't get to hear the sound anymore, unless, of course, you're lucky enough to be on a Christopher Nolan or Tarantino set. And most DPs and cameramen don't even own this gear now. Trade it away for a Red or Alexa or some other new digital camera. Honestly, the only places you can still find these cameras is where I am today. My favorite film gear rental house, Rule Boston Camera. Now, for some reason, a lot of young filmmakers are afraid of rental houses. Some think that you'll need a lot of money or you'll need some tremendous insurance policy just to rent gear. Isn't there some sort of super special handshake needed in order to have a relationship with these guys? Honestly, that couldn't be further from the truth. I find a majority of rental houses are excited to meet and support young filmmakers. It is one of the best places to learn how to make films. Not only will they teach you how to use your gear, but you'll learn new networking skills, tips on how to strengthen your business, and you'll have years and years of knowledge and support behind every project you do. Today we're talking with my good friend John Rule from Rule Boston Camera. John and I have been friends for the past few years and he has been a huge supporter of 12KM and all the other projects we do at McFarland, & Now this isn't just a sponsor episode guys, I'm really excited to dig deeper into John's past and learn how being involved with cinema for as many years as he has, has affected and influenced his life. So let's get right to it, sit back and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, the new episode of In Love With The Process. Today, I am hanging out in one of my favorite places in Boston. I am here at Rule Boston Camera, um, and as many of you know, I am a huge advocate of rental houses and renting equipment um, because I feel like I, I have everything at my disposal as a DP and as a shooter, um, and it's also a really cool place to just hang out um, and uh, chat with uh, film nerds. And I. That's kind of why we're here today. We're here to talk with uh, John Rule. And um, also, Dave is back from his adventure as well. I am back. Uh, Hello, Dave. Uh, I I want to ask you a ton of questions about Europe, but uh, we're going to save that for the next podcast. You got it. Um, I hope it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It uh, it actually was in a lot of ways. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Excellent. But hey, John, say hello to everybody.
1: Good morning. How are you? You have such a great radio voice why thank you
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah like what I was saying is um I genuinely I mean this isn't some plug I, I genuinely really um, love uh, hanging out in rental houses because I te- I typically do not own my own gear I try not mm-hmm. to because it's a very difficult thing to have such a a big overhead and then still make it as a freelancer today because of you know budgets and prices and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's actually one of the coolest places because then you can learn about the new gear. You can learn about new equipment that's on the market, but it's also full of history. It's full of um, a lot of like the the original gear. Like uh, in the opening of the episode, you guys heard the sound of a film camera running, which is super cool. And, and I, there's so many filmmakers. Like, have you ever touched a film
2: camera before, Dave? Not once. Not once. Have you ever oh. seen a film camera work? Uh, just now I did. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> um, so
0: it's really cool to be here today, and I think we have a lot of really cool stuff that we can talk about, John.
1: Well, thanks. I, 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 uh, the uh, the feeling is mutual, of course. Um, we love having people like you here, um, you know, part of the reason why rental houses exist is to support the local community and the artists who are part of that community. And, uh, you know, folks like you come in and and come in with with ideas and enthusiasm and excitement and, and, uh, you know, your needs and your imperatives sort of drive what we do here. And, uh, you know, it's only through folks like you saying, hey, I got this idea. I want to try something new. You know, that that lets us uh, both up front and in the back room, sort of figure out, hmm, okay, do we have all the component pieces? Could we make this work nobody 's ever tried this before, but let 's do it <laughs> uh, and and you bring the kind of enthusiasm that really drives us and makes us happy to come into work every day
0: well it 's great. I mean honestly, I consider uh, folks like you guys as part of a team, and for us it 's always project to project and every mm-hmm. every time we have a new idea, every time we have a new film it's it 's almost like starting a new company you know every time you do it. Um, and it's really nice. I mean, honestly, it's like, you guys have been a a part of almost everything we've ever done just because you guys are the premier rental place here in town. And then I think I've been, I've been renting from you guys for at least 17 years at this point. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We appreciate it so much. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you. <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, in the beginning, like, it, so for me, in the beginning, when I started doing my stuff, I started as a, an assistant for um, corporate for corporate gigs, basically. Mm-hmm. I worked for this uh, producer off the Cape named John Sutherland. So oh, you know, sure. You know, I know, you know, John. Yeah, of course. Yeah, John's a great guy. I actually haven't talked to him in years. Um, but uh, I started uh, when I got out of film school and I was looking for a gig and I went back to my parents' house because, you know, it was broke at that point. Um, and at the time, this was not pre internet, but internet was still pretty infant. So I was going through the Yellow Pages. So I literally <laughs> picked up the Yellow oh, Pages, wow. <laughs> flipped through, and looked for production companies in the Yellow Pages. And I found John um, Sutherland in the Yellow Pages and uh, called him up, and I was like, oh, you got it? It's cool. Called him up and was like, uh, do you need an assistant? And he ended up hiring me um, to, to actually label VHS tapes for his dubs that
1: he did. The perfect first job in film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great. Um, but then uh, quickly, because he's a small, uh, smaller production company, um, I ended up rising the ranks pretty quick and I ended up doing PA work and then ended up in the lighting department and then ended up actually shooting stuff with him. Um, and that's how I think I first found you guys was through him because it was like, hey, do me a favor, drive up to Boston, pick up a camera, pick up some sticks, pick up a tripod. And that's back when you guys used to be off of Comm No, 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 no. You guys used to be uh, in uh, Watertown. Probably over, yeah, the Watertown right, office. Right, because Comm yeah. Ave was uh, Boston camera. Right. Right, and you guys were over there. So right. it was at the Watertown office. And you guys were down in the back, and it was pretty cool. It was a cool yep. little spot.
1: Um, Hidden so, away from prying eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, so that was how it started. And it was just sort of coming in and picking up piece of equipment and then meeting the guys. And at first, as a young, um, as a young uh, filmmaker, or as a young person in the industry, it was kind of daunting. Like, it's this big house. It's a big rental house, and they have all this sort of stuff. And I... Um, at first, I remember being just sort of like, okay, let me just grab this piece of equipment and get in and out of there, you know what I mean? Um, and it, it took a few it took a few years for me to sort of open up and start to have conversations with people that worked here. And then the more people that I talked to, the more I became friendly with folks, and the more that we'd come in and start nerding out about stuff. And, and you know, fast forward to today when I come in and, like, I can't see Brian at the front counter without having, like, a 45-minute conversation <laughs> about comic book movies. Um, so that being said, that's how I found you guys. That's how I came to be involved with this company um, and yeah I feel like I'm doing way too much promotion <laughs> <laughs> oh no Mike <laughs> keep going
1: <laughs> this is fantastic
0: um, so let me uh, let me let me just dive right in here and I'll ask you a couple of questions and then we'll start from there and then we'll loosen up a little bit yeah. um, so let's talk about let's talk about your origins like how did you get into the rental business
1: well, I had gone to Emerson, um, and uh, originally as an actor out of, out of high school, you know. Whoa, th- I didn't know that. Classic, uh, you know, uh, musical nerd. And, <laughs> uh, you know, got a couple of great parts in high school and figured, oh, well, I'll just be an actor. And uh, went, in, went to Emerson, and, and literally within the first two weeks, I realized I do not belong here. <laughs> These guys are are crazy talented, and and uh, so I, I quickly looked around for something else to do. and And, uh, and a lot of my friends there were doing films, and uh, and so I really enjoyed the, the the production aspect of it much more than I thought I would. And uh, so I ended up doing a lot of film projects, and and eventually working at uh, Blake Films. I don't know if you were around when when Blake mm, Films was around. I don't think so. So that was that was the first. Um, Lighting and Grip Company here in, in Boston, and uh, and I think at the time that I joined, it was a couple of old New England telephone vans <laughs> converted <laughs> with some really old Mold Richardsons and and uh, a couple trucks here and there, and and um, uh, so I worked there for a number of years, and and uh, uh, realized that I really enjoyed the tech. Uh, you know, I'd been on a bunch of productions, um, most notably. Get ready for this, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Wow! Yeah, I worked on that.
0: <laughs> wow! What did you do on that?
1: <laughs> so I was uh, I was night crew, and uh, so for three days I was hanging two uh, K Mighties about twenty feet up in the trees on on you know climbing ladders, <laughs> n- nailing nailing plates to the trees and and uh, hanging these lights and gelling them. And uh, where did they shoot that? that was in kent connecticut
0: oh wow i did at know. a
1: uh, at a little camp a little boys camp down there and uh <laughs> you know it, this was september into october and it was cold at night and and you know so we were staying in the little cabins and there was no heat it, it was it was uh, fun <laughs> um but uh but after after being on enough productions i realized you know it's it's the gear that's what's really exciting it's it's uh you know, I sort of lost interest in being out in production myself. I I just really dove into the technology side of it and what the technology could do in the service of art. And, uh, and I've been doing it, God, 30 years now at least? No, more than that. 37 years, mm. if you can believe that. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, starting with Lighting and Grip, and then um, in 1982... I started uh, Boston Camera Rental, mm-hmm. uh, and that was with with um, somebody else's money. And uh, but I was the you know I was the vice president. Then started the company, uh, and um, ran that for eight years. Left for a year, and then started my own company, Rule Rule Broadcast Systems. Mm-hmm. And then about twenty years after that, then we ended up merging with Boston Camera Rental. And, uh, and now we're just one big happy family. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. that
0: you were on Friday 13th. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, had yeah. a, you had a really good point there, like gear and service of the art, like gear and service mm-hmm. of, of that. Um, I think that that's a really important thing to talk about. Because I, and I, without, I often get on tangents on this show. <laughs> but without getting too far on a tangent, I feel like uh, some of the tide has shifted in the past few years, at least, where I feel like gear starts to come before the project for at least a lot of like um, uh, manufacturers and folks that are selling the gear and and doing that sort of thing. So it becomes a really difficult task for a young filmmaker, um, especially if you're told that like, look, you're not a real professional unless you have this specific piece of gear, you're not a real professional unless you own this kind of camera and you have all this sort of stuff. Um, and I, I feel like that... I don't know if you still feel that. Do you feel like you need to own equipment to be a, a filmmaker these days?
2: Uh, well, I don't now after uh, after hanging out with you for a couple months. But, <laughs> I mean, but seriously, before that, uh, renting wasn't even really an option. Or it, for me, it wasn't. I didn't even consider that. Um, How come? Know, Why didn't you consider it? I didn't know. It was... I didn't know it was an option. I thought that, you know, oh, you just... you make some money and you buy a camera and you buy you buy gear enough to support yourself so when you get a job you have all the stuff there and uh, you know that was it i thought that was
0: and you went to film school
2: yes yes
0: yeah we we'll get in that's a whole other <laughs> podcast <laughs> <laughs> um so well it... i
1: think i think part of that is uh, a result of the dslr uh, generation the, exactly. the revolution you know exactly. when when uh, a lot of kids came out of film school or uh, got into the business at that time and were able to do amazing things with DSL, DSLRs, and and uh, um, as a result, they didn't have that that exposure to the rental house that the more traditional, you know, hundred-year-old model uh, would have given you at that at that point in time in your career. Um, and I think I think the pendulum has started to swing back, uh, where where people are still buying a lot of gear, but a lot more uh, companies and individuals are renting. Um, sort of in line with the with what's going on in the in the globe what's going on around the world where people are are uh, renting cars on a sporadic basis you know zip car right, uh, right. or renting houses through airbnb or uh, you know, i saw another one this weekend where you can uh, it's like airbnb for rvs so if you want to rent an airstream <laughs> for a weekend you know you, you can do that and, and I think uh, people in general, particularly the newer generation of, of people coming into the industry, are are just naturally predisposed towards renting equipment and not owning stuff and not having to take care of it and not having to deal with the, with the, um, the economy of uh, of owning your own gear right, maintaining right. it and paying taxes and depreciation and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well and uh, I mean the speed and the, the, the rate that things turn around these days is is ridiculous. Like the idea of going out and, you know, everybody got really excited when RED came out, you know, and RED was the camera, and that was gonna be the thing that you own for the rest of your life, and you buy yourself a RED camera, and, and, you know, every producer on the market was like, do you have a RED? You know, and that was how you got hired. Hmm. Um, but then that that camera's outdated immediately, and and at this point, you know, I have a lot of other friends that are DPs that do own gear, and they're all selling their gear off because you can't keep up with the tide basically, because it just seems to be changing so rapidly, you know, and then you have places like Netflix and, and uh, a lot of these new media outlets that are demanding to have stuff shot at like 6k. And like, they have all these requirements and you just can't keep up with that stuff. And I think that, um, my philosophy was always like, I just don't even want to get in that game. Really. I don't want to get in that game because then as a, as a DP, you're beholden to what you own. You know and so like every time a job would come in and a director would say you know hey i'd love you to do this thing you're like oh well i gotta i gotta pay off my you, red is perfect for this job you know like because mm-hmm. I, I own this camera it's perfect for that gig and then you often find that that isn't the case you know so basically i'm sort of running in circles here but i i think that um the idea for at least me for and this is a, something to take away from this is that gear is a tool, specifically a tool for whatever job you want. And every time you do a job as a creative, your tools are different based upon the needs of what your idea is. And you just don't want to become beholden to that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons why I quickly became, you know, buddies with you guys, because I knew that you guys have, you know, access to everything that's new, and you guys are keeping up on all that the updates you guys are keeping up on everything. And I can literally just say to a client like, yeah, 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 sure. We can take care of all that stuff. And then you get on the phone with you guys and go, okay, how do we figure this out? How do we make this work? Um, and there's a bit of safety in that as well, where, you know, if you show up to a shoot and there are rental stickers on all the gear, then you know that there's sort of an insurance behind all that stuff. You know that if the piece of equipment goes down, you know that if the cameras um, crapping out on you, then you can just make a phone call to a gear company and mm-hmm. go, guys, I need a replacement really quick. Or how do we fix this sort of thing? You know yeah, I mean? and
1: and that's certainly one thing. I have to say, in in um, support of the traditional rental house as opposed to some of the uh, the new peer-to-peer rental models, where uh, you know if you've got a very important shoot, very important client, uh, and you've rented from you know a, a peer-to-peer uh, agency. Um, mm-hmm. there may not be support behind that piece of gear. So, uh, you know, if you rent from a traditional rental house and if something goes down, let's say a camera explodes, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> the rental house will be there within a few minutes with a replacement camera. And that's that's sort of what, that's the promise, right? That's mm-hmm. our, our value proposition. Um, and that's an important part of what a rental house does for people is to give you that insurance, particularly as you're out there making a living with those tools. Mm-hmm. Um and then the other thing is, is that, uh, yes, we have, we have, uh, state of the art equipment and we have, um, you know, really good view as to where technology is at the moment and where it's going, but we're sort of also a, um, a repository of best practices. So we, from, from exposure to all these different clients, all these different shoots and shooting conditions, we sort of develop this understanding that, it, that it is hard to achieve without that exposure um so we know what works best under certain conditions uh you know what uh, motors might work best with what lenses and what cameras and mm-hmm. and uh you know because the the filmmaking equipment ecosystem is so complex right now uh yeah. between but, uh, because there's so many more components than there were back in the days when we were listening to film cameras <laughs> right between <laughs> between the the video transmitters and the monitors and and uh and and lut boxes and and, then like and just uh, you know, just and everything. everything yeah
0: yeah
1: um yeah. and they all need to work well with each other and uh they all need to work period of course but uh, mm-hmm. but they need to work well and they need to support each other in a in a holistic way and and that's the kind of thing that that uh, it, that's research and development that rental houses do as a matter of their business. Uh, you know, put all these things together and make sure that they work um, because when we put them out in the field, our name's on them and uh, and that's really important because we know you, Mike, <laughs> you're out there in the field <laughs> and and uh, and we don't want to let you down. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we end up hiring um, over and over. We end up hiring people who are filmmakers themselves. Uh, you know, people who are regularly on weekends out doing productions. Part of the reason we do that is that we want we want our employees to have a deep familiarity with the gear, right? We want them to understand how the menu structure works, how how things go together. You know, what could possibly be wrong, or what might happen to our customers out in the field. But the other reason is that that uh, our employees need to have empathy for what you're going through. So, um, you know, in a, in a customer service environment, you want to be able to respond quickly to what's happening with a customer. And the way that happens is through a deep-seated sense of, sense of empathy. Yep. Like, if if Mike Petchy is out in a, in a shoot and the camera's down and everybody's looking at him, we need to feel that in, in the gut of our stomach. You know, we need to understand what that feels like to have people looking at you. And because we're all filmmakers, we do. We know exactly what you're going through out, out on the set. And uh, and so it becomes really super important for us to support you in the best way that we possibly can.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, because it, it really, that's what I meant when I say that you guys are a part of the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing if you're casting actors and the same thing if you're putting your crew together. I mean, you really want to make sure that you can rely on what you have. I mm-hmm. mean... Being able to rely on gear is important, but I feel like gear is such a finicky thing. Gear is very unemotional, you know. Gear can't be conned with beers, you know what I mean. Gear <laughs> has its own way of doing things, and um, it's one of those variables. It's like nature, you know. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't work, you know. And there's something really nice about having that insurance policy behind that gear, and just going like, okay. Look, uh, I know it's not your fault, guys, but this thing's—you know—this thing's not doing it. this. The gear's having a cranky day today, <laughs> so sunspots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> how do we? Uh, how do we keep moving? Um, so yeah. All right. Well, okay. So enough on that stuff. Let's let's get more into. Um, one thing that I find fascinating about the work that you guys do is that you you've had your hands in pretty much everything that rolls through Boston at least mm-hmm. for years. And um, we've seen the change. At least in my career, I've seen the change of Boston going from being a city that maybe has a film, you know, once a year, maybe, and a lot of it is local productions, to now being a place that, because of our tax incentive, is pretty busy. I think there's like there was like four or five, the other like, like a couple of months mm-hmm. ago that are here. And I
1: think as we're talking right this minute, I think X Men is gearing up to start production. Oh, right, uh, that's right. Sometime that soon.
0: Yeah, that's right. So like every piece of lighting equipment (laughs) will never be on (laughs) (laughs) them in any rental house. Um, but, um, so I find that's fascinating and like, how close are you to like, do you have a personal connection to any of these projects? Are you interested in any of these projects when they come through? Or is it just sort of like, how do we just supply them with gear and get them out of here? Do you have any personal connections?
1: It really depends on, on the production. Um, you know, a lot of times when, when a, hundred plus million dollar film rolls through then no i I don't really have a personal connection with uh with the major hollywood studios um the flip side of that is somebody like uh screen gems uh you know they've they've come into town and they've done uh, in the last four months uh three different small uh five million dollar budget films and i have a very deep connection with them uh and uh and we've supported them you know uh to the best of our abilities and um so really it really depends um you know we've got the out-of-towners we've got the local folks uh you know the tax incentives have spurred a lot of local productions as well as mm-hmm. um as out of town and so there's a lot more independent film um you know commercial production also benefits from the uh, tax incentive because the um the low end of the tax incentive is only about fifty thousand dollars in order to qualify yeah. uh, for the tax credit and that's fantastic and that's something that not a lot of other states have um, and and the reason that's there is to spur local productions independent features um, you know TV series uh, whatever it is that that, uh, that we're doing locally um, so I you know I think that one of the reasons I wanted to be in this particular business is that it's about relationships, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, you know, I, it was never my interest to be in a commodity business in any way, you know, to, uh, to to squeeze five cents out of a transaction, you know. That that's just never interested me. And and I think what's always been great about the uh, the this particular industry. And being a rental house in the central center of the industry is that we have exposure to all kinds of really exciting, uh, creative, uh, hyper, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, volatile people, and uh, and that's been really great for me. You know, I, I've so much I, that's the best part of this whole uh, my, my career arc, I think, is the people that I've met along the way and uh, and the projects that I've been a part of. Um, you know, just seeing. What creative people can do that ends up on the screen is just really exciting to me, you know. <laughs> um, and it's it's maybe a bit nerdy and and uh, uh, a bit sentimental, but but that's what's important about this industry.
0: That's good. I mean, I, I that I mean that's a great uh, mindset. And I, surprisingly, because I we just did a couple out in Vegas. We did a couple podcasts out in Vegas um, with a couple friends of mine that work in the manufacturing business and they work in the sales business for stuff um and there are a few guys that we've talked to that feel the same way that felt like they like rod clark when we did rod's piece rod comes from a family of lighting technicians and gaffers and and so when he got old enough he was you know put on set you know and he got to be put in that position and then he quickly realized that the life of a freelancer wasn't the life for him Um, And so he had to find something that was more stable, but he really wanted to get into a business that um, was also helping creatives do what they wanted to do. And ultimately, that's his main goal for it, which is, uh, again, an admirable thing, because when the cynic in me when i see folks that are trying to sell me things i feel like that's their main goal i feel like a salesman is just someone that it's like mm. all right cool i got a, I got a warehouse full of this shit <laughs> you know what i mean i gotta, <laughs> gotta move it i gotta get it out of <laughs> here you know so whatever i gotta tell you to get it out of here you know um but every once in a while you stumble across folks that really really do care about the projects and the process of making this stuff and um the filmmaking business to me is such a weird one because it could, I mean, I came from being a car mechanic and I came from being like a house painter and working in construction. And the crew mentality is pretty similar, except ours is so romantic. Like the, the film business is such a romantic thing. Like you still have electrics that are running cable and outside getting filthy and like running all this stuff, but they're doing it because they ultimately love the film. And I've, I've worked with so many guys that are willing to go out there and break their backs for, you know, 15 hours, you know, and, and do this stuff and then... but but also be like, what's the shot look like? And they come in and they take a look Mm -hmm. and they have feedback. And it's really a beautiful business and it's very romantic. Um, I almost feel like it's a Western, you know what I mean? Where you have like these really cool guys get together, you know, and you sort of collect them. It's like the dark guy. That's a really good at like sound and like, you know, the, the, the quiet man that somehow knows how to manipulate sun, you know? And it's like, so funny
1: this weekend I watched uh, 13 samurai on, on Netflix and it's very much like that, you know, yeah, you, all, you all come together and you're fighting off hordes of whatever, you know, exactly. and like
0: one of us dies, you know, and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, See you later, man. And everybody sort of walks off, <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, the, another job comes in, and the, half those guys get together. And it's like, remember when we almost died? You know, and it's it's this very romantic business.
1: Well, that, that's the one thing that I do miss about actually being out in production is is uh, you know, there's no other business other than maybe road construction where yeah. where people people sit around for a good part of the day, depending on what part, department is out there, you know, on set working. Mm-hmm and uh so you have these tremendous opportunities during the course of the day to get to know your your fellow uh your colleagues and uh uh, and hang around and talk and and uh and expound on things (laughs) and then and then you you're in the in the fever pitch of battle right and then and then you have time off again uh and and there's no other job where you can not get yelled at for sitting around talking, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh and I really enjoyed again, the personal relationships that you get on set. Um, you know, my wife was a AC for seventeen years or so. Oh no kidding. And uh you know, just she would always talk about these deep personal relationships that she had uh from working on set. You know, there's it again, to use the uh the warmongering uh lexicon, you know, it, it's like going into battle together, where where uh, you know you're 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 battle tested.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, to you get even further on a tangent. The other thing I really like about it is that um, you see these very surreal life moments when you're on film sets. Strangely, and it's like mm-hmm. the one job I've ever had where it just seems to breed these very odd moments in a, a very <laughs> a specific story. When I started years ago, I started in the lighting department. So I was I somehow convinced on an independent film that I could be a gaffer. I don't know how I did it, but I convinced these guys that I could. Which at the time I was like, I have to learn about like power distribution quickly. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things. And we were shooting in uh, not too far from here, like downtown really dirty Austin. Very dirty Austin. And they, mm-hmm. Very low buck, very low buck production. And we're in this split home. You know, and it's in a rough neighborhood. And we're in there, we're shooting all day, all night, long, long shoots. And I have lights set up outside and there's a massive thunderstorm rolling in. And I'm like, Okay, we gotta we gotta chill. Like I gotta unplug everything, we gotta chill. You know, I don't have a lot of experience, but I know that this we should probably stop shooting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like this is the moment we should probably just, you know, hang out. And so we're just we close all the stuff down. It's that moment of breather that you have on an independent film set because you're running 100 miles an hour you know the most important thing is to get the shot and so you strangely have like this sort of moment of silence i remember just sitting out on the front porch with a bunch of other crew members and um we watching it's like these dark 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 clouds are rolling in you know and you know lightning and everything coming out of it and,
1: uh, you're going to insert a sound effect right there yeah, later, yeah, later yeah, cue, in the editing yeah, process. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so as we're sitting there, the split, the, the, the door to the, the house next to us bursts open, right? And this woman, I, I remember it being a woman. This woman comes running out and she's yanking a kiddie pool with her. And she comes running out on the front lawn, sets up this kiddie pool on the front lawn, goes back in the house. And then this guy comes out, and he's got, like, those old-school, like, metal lawn chairs. He puts a lawn chair right in the middle of the kiddie pool, and they're, like, strung out. Like, these guys are, like, really strung out. And so they have the kiddie pool, and they set up a radio, and he's sitting in this kiddie pool with a radio running next to the kiddie pool. And then we watch as the roommate runs across the street and disappears into the neighbor's yard. And (laughs) so we're sitting there watching this. And he comes running back out with the hose from the neighbor's house which is running and he's running as far as he can get and the hose yanks him so he's in the middle of the road because the hose won't go the distance and he's trying to like project this water from the street using his thumbs to create a stream and he's projecting this water into the kiddie pool with a guy sitting in a metal chair a woman sitting in a metal chair one in the other and a radio playing as this massive thunder electrical storm started rolling in from the distance and i remember just sitting there with this crew of people going where are we it felt like we stepped through like a david lynch i I think you're
1: describing a dream (laughs) this couldn't have happened It's totally
0: true i (laughs) swear to god um but yeah and and that memory i mean that was god 14 years ago or something like that and that memory is vivid and burned Mm. in there and it's just one of these weird little experiences that you only have when you're on film sets
1: Well, I think I think that's one of the greatest things about the industry is that is that almost every crew person that I know is a really good storyteller because there's just so much material. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a ton of material and I was in it. You know, I was doing production for maybe a year or two. And, uh, you know, you do get exposed to things that nobody else has ever seen. Uh you know, filmmakers are always being brought behind the scenes yep. of operations. And, and uh, yeah. you know, it's it's really exciting. And I, you've got stories for life.
0: Yeah, I joke around. I joke around that I've been in probably every building in Cambridge. Like, I can't drive down the street in Cambridge, Massachusetts and mm-hmm. see a building that I haven't been in because of the years that I did documentary work with Harvard. So every place. And then you sort of, and you have like this weird sense of access where like, you, especially when you're doing doc stuff, Dave, because you were just doing this and, mm-hmm. and someone's like, yeah, you, you ask them like, "Hey, do you want to be in a documentary?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then suddenly, it's like they just open their bedroom doors. <laughs> like everything's yeah. available to you, and they're like, "Sure, you want to see what's in this closet back here?" And you want to see what's going on over here. And so you have this really weird sense of access into other people's lives that you would never get. And and you know, especially in this city, I feel like this city's still kind of innocent. You know, like if you go into New York or LA, someone's like, "Great." Well, how big is your wallet? And that'll, you know, Mm -hmm. that'll depend on whether or not you get in here. But in this city, you can still walk into a spot and say, "Like, hey, I'm going to do a movie," and then suddenly people just look at you like, "Wow, really?" Like this, it's still very magical. You know what I mean? Do you feel that way? I mean, you've been doing doc stuff. Yeah,
2: and we just got really. I got my first taste of that. Um, And you know, this is for probably future podcasts. But the second. You know, we talked about what we were doing. it's like everyone, it was like we knew them for 10 years. (laughs) And uh, we, uh, through mutual connections that we had never met, we got into like the depths of parliament and like a a backstage tour from this guy in the House of Lords who we had never met. And it was... it was amazing how much he vouched for us to get us in there <laughs> through all these guards. <laughs> and we were just these dudes with big bags of equipment walking in straight into Parliament. So uh, it was, uh, it's, it's really cool.
0: I can't wait to hear all about that stuff. <laughs> I can't wait to hear all about it. Um, so, so, yeah. So let's get back on track here. So, um, well, John, actually, you and I were hanging out recently. Actually, we went to a, f- a movie recently. It was like you, me, and RJ, and we went and saw John Wick 2. <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah, classic.
0: <laughs> Which was actually a, a wonderful viewing experience with you guys. <laughs> yeah. I just thought about it the other day because I just watched John Wick 2 again because I, I guess it's out now on, on demand, and the movie is yeah. just so much fun
1: to watch. I forget whether you had seen the first one or not.
0: Uh, before we went? I don't know if no. I had before we went, but I have okay. seen it since. You have seen it since. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Which did you like better?
0: I like the second one better. Me too. Yeah, I mean, by a long shot. Yeah, have you seen? I've seen neither. Oh, dude, they have. He, they they fight with taxi cabs. They have like a <laughs> kung fu fight with taxi cabs. <laughs> yeah. here we are promoting John Wick too. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um. But um. When we were hanging out that day, you and I sat down, and had some beers, and I found out that you used to be an illustrator, right? You mm-hmm. wanted to be an illustrator. What? Tell me about that stuff.
1: Well, I, I had been a cartoonist you know probably since i was 11 years old and and uh and i i used to emulate the cartoons in at the, in the margins of uh mad magazine and I, I, right now i can't remember the name of the artist but uh but but he was a big influence on me and um so i i had drawn cartoons all through high school and uh and then when i was at emerson i did a cartoon for the um for the the emerson newspaper called the adventures of god and uh uh, so I, you know, it's something I've always done. I, I have sketchbooks filled with, uh, you know, uh, just doodles and, and, uh, You still, uh, you still do them? No, I haven't done it for a really, really long time. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, like
0: riding a bike. It's still in there, right?
1: It's still in there. Yeah. The, yeah. the fluency might be a little bit diminished, but, uh, yeah. but I could still do it. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it's, it, it's definitely like a muscle that, that just needs to be worked. And, uh, and if I sat down, you know, for any length of time, I'm sure I could start it up again.
0: Well, what would uh, what would inspire you when you were drawing? Is it people that would inspire you, or is it moments, or is it? I,
1: I think uh, juxtaposition, really. You know, um, doing maybe it's surreal, but uh, doing uh, juxtaposing people and objects that shouldn't be together, and <laughs> you know, or or uh, or objects that uh, that talk and do things that you wouldn't expect them to do, and uh, um, you know, I. I I wasn't big on, um, you know, a traditional comic book form. I was, I, I think, if anything, I was more of a New Yorker one-panel kind of guy. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, but again, and, and what's funny is that my, I think, what started me on my career when I was eleven years old or so was was crawling around in the attic of my house and finding a bunch of sketchbooks from my dad. and he hadn't drawn in in maybe 25 30 years and and uh, i discovered these drawings and i'm like wow this is kind of cool i could do this and (laughs) and you know someday my kids are going to discover this box of sketchbooks in my basement and uh it's like an
0: indiana jones movie at this point Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) exactly um and uh you know there's there's certainly like uh like the Monet's blue period, you know, there's there's definitely the drug period in my drawing, <laughs> but where things got uh, increasingly more surreal. But uh, uh, and maybe that's why I stopped. Who knows? Um, but I think I think that the act of creation is sort of universal, whether it's whether it's filmmaking or drawing. You know, whether it's a, a singular act of creation. Um, like writing a book or, or, uh, or drawing or painting or whatever, or if it's a collaborative creation like filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know, it's all kind of the same thing. You, you, you have an idea, um, maybe it's not fully fledged out, maybe you just dive in with the, with the germ of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, for some people, the, the process is about discovery, you know, and, and for drawing, for me, that was a lot of it. You know, I'd, I'd start with a line, and that small line would inform what the next line was going to be, and and then halfway into the drawing, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I know the, I know where this is going. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, of course, we don't recommend that that filmmakers do that.
0: <laughs> but the, you know, the, the the truth of the matter is, though, that that is the game still, and I, I I feel like as a as a director, I still do that same thing, where you have your idea, you have that germ of mm-hmm. an idea, and then you try to do as much of your homework as possible and you're like, okay, well, this is how I think this thing would go. But, you know, I'm, I am I, 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 don't know all the variables. And the problem with film is that there are so many different variables that, like you were saying, you do a line and you see where that line's gonna lead. You, know, It's the same thing with filmmaking where you go, okay, I'm gonna start here and but I'm gonna work with this person. Or I'm gonna hire this person to be production designer, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna work with this concept artist, or I'm gonna work with this musician. And you just know that they're going to take that next line in a very strange direction. And you hope, at least I do, I hope that they'll take it in another direction. And then while you're Hmm. just sort of that person strapped to the front of the train, you're just sort of trying to conduct it and go, oh, there's a really cool tangent. What if you just pull it back just a little bit this way and then we'll go that way. And then, hey, everybody catch up with this person. And then everybody else is trying to get their lines onto that point.
1: Yeah. Serendipity plays a huge part in in, uh, what ultimately ends up on screen.
0: And then, you know, you have something exciting. Yeah. You know, I think that there's something so boring about having everything on the page first and then having everything boarded completely and then you just go through that process. And then you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. halfway through filming, you're like, okay, this is just miserable. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing new <laughs> happening. Here. You know, you're looking for, like, that really cool moment, you know. Um, I think that exists like you were saying. I think that exists if you're an illustrator. I think that exists if you're a chef. I think that exists. <laughs> Um, you know, if you're a musician or if you're a filmmaker, and it for me at least, that's that's you know, I am 39 today, it is my birthday, plug, plug. So, um, but happy birthday, Mike. thank you, thank you. But I mean, that's <laughs> what keeps me happy, you know. It, it sure as hell isn't money, and it, you know, sure as hell, it's not wealth and having all these different things. It's, it's really just having the ability on a Monday at like 10 o'clock to be able to sit down and just go, Hey, let's just talk and see where this goes, you know. I love it. Yeah.
2: What do you think, Dave? You're really quiet over there. No, I was uh, lost in the story of you being strapped to the front of a train conductor. Stop. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) You just haven't been here for months. He's just sucking up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh,
0: let me go and take a look here and see if I had any other. Let's go back to my notes. Um, All right. Well, let's get back into. This is interesting because you've been in the you've been in the rental business, um, and you've seen a bunch of different transitions. So there was a period in time where all film was shot basically with film. There was a period of time where you know TV commercials were for TV. Like uh, as we've seen this progression, a from film to digital, and then b from like large scale productions to sort of scaled back. This is for the internet kind of thing. Have you seen a change in the way filmmakers are working, or is it still the same process for everybody, do
1: you think? I, I think it's changed dramatically. Um, you know, I think that uh, the democratization of video of uh, of equipment has done tremendous things for um, you know, allowing allowing people to come into the industry that that otherwise couldn't afford to produce content. Um, and at the same time, that all these people are coming into the industry, you've got uh, you know, what a lot of people refer to as the golden age of television. Mm-hmm. So the visual vocabulary that we are all learning every day and, and, uh, and watching on Netflix or HBO or whatever, uh, that is informing this, this explosion of, of creativity um, as, as all these fresh new people come into the industry and, and, uh, and they're really excited about what they're seeing on, on screen. And everybody's trying to emulate this really, really high bar of of um, creativity and and uh, production value and and script writing, and it's all everything's good, everything's really good, uh, and um, and so I I, I see that uh, uh, access to gear, um, access, you know, maybe maybe uh, people are getting a DSLR. And maybe they're not actually producing content, but they have it in their bag, and they're able to play and practice and flex their muscles, and uh, and and there's just this heightened sense of we can we can achieve really really wonderful projects, you know, and I guess the way I look at it is is um, <laughs> there's two examples. One is that uh, for years and years and years at the Coney Island um, hot dog eating contest the limit was 25, you know, nobody could ever eat more than 25 hot dogs. And then one guy, and I, I forget how long ago it was, but, but he did, he shattered that record and he came in with like 35. And, you know, last couple of weeks ago, it was 70. Oh my God. But the point was that, that after everybody realized that 25 was achievable, now everybody does 25, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's no longer a big deal. Uh, and the other example was, was from this, uh, um incredible book um and i almost said i'm blanking on the name it was made into a movie by uh directed by angelina jolie unbreakable yeah yeah um and and it's this incredible story about louis zamberini and and uh, uh, when he was he was a runner before he went to war and and uh, and he was going to he was on track to be the first person to break the 4 minute mile and nobody thought it was possible uh, and just before he went off to war he did it unofficially on sand. Wow! Um, and of course, uh, eventually the record did get broken. But now everybody does a four-minute mile. You know, it's not a big deal anymore. And and the point I'm trying to make is that there are there are mental uh, barriers that we put up uh, collectively mm-hmm. to say that we can't do certain things. And and I think in the filmmaking space, you know, uh, that notion that that we regular Joes can't produce super high quality content is gone. Everybody, everybody understands that, that you get a bunch of friends together, you get some relatively decent gear together at, at pretty low cost, you can make something phenomenal. And uh, as long as your directing is tight, your script writing is good, you know, you can make world-class uh, art. And, uh, and I think that's, that's a change that, you know, probably just over the last five, six years uh, we've seen that, and, and and it really makes, you know, combine that with the fact that technology is so incredible right now. The ability to, um, you know, for a DP in particular to to forge his artistic vision in the um, uh, in what's going to end up on screen, you know, it's not being left in the hands of the colorist. Sometimes, sometimes it is, um, but these are these are incredible times for technology. Uh, for art the for the expression of ideas and uh, you know I've never seen anything like it and I've been around for 30 years plus
2: well since that transition since uh, a lot of I guess amateurs or younger people now have access to all this cool gear hmm. it must be cool to see sort of like growth with returning customers and people that use your gear a lot and you know the first time they come here and, you know rent this cool camera and then
1: you know, see them years later. You know what they're doing now. Yeah, and that's that's been really gratifying, uh, particularly when you see somebody come in and they and they just clearly they've got it. You know, they, they uh, that's that's so fulfilling to have somebody come in, you know, fresh and new to the industry, um, but you see something in them, you see a spark, and you know that that uh, they're going to go places, and and so we will always try to. Support somebody who who just very clearly looks like they're they're uh, you know super talented or, um, you know needs. I, I look for somebody who needs, and I think you're you're definitely <laughs> one of them. Like like you cannot get up in the morning without creating something or thinking about a shot or or something. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. I drive I drive Gina crazy. <laughs> really yeah, do... like
1: you physically can't not. Yeah, and. Uh, um, and I, you know, that's the kind of people that, that we look for and try to support wherever possible. So, uh, so yeah, seeing them go through their careers is, uh, really rewarding. This seems like a good spot to take a break so I can do a
0: few reads for our sponsors. These guys continue to support the show and I'm more than happy to talk about how awesome they are. First up, Puget systems. Are you in the market for a new edit system? Tired of every software update making your machine run slower? Do you want a system that runs faster than the three choices that you get from Apple? Then I seriously suggest you look into buying a PC. They have faster, easily upgraded, and Puget Systems support and technical help blows Apple care out of the water. I have been cutting on their systems for almost two years now, and I haven't had a problem yet. Go to PugetSystems.com. They have made it easy for you to get started by allowing you to select the software you use and automatically pairing it up with the right computer model for your needs seriously go check them out pugetsystems.com azo monitors how many of you know what a calibrated monitor is how many of you have one just because you have an apple cinema display it doesn't mean that the colors that you are seeing are true Azo makes outstanding self-calibrating monitors that come built with the tools to take accurate luminance and color measurements in the room that you're working in. They make sure that when you spend hours tweaking your colors, that they'll look that good on phones, laptops, and even in the theater. At McFarland & Pesci, we just got our hands on their new 4K CG318, and it's awesome. Go to azo.com and spend some of that money you saved on your Puget Systems machine and grab yourself a peace of mind when it comes to color grading. Well, cool. Um, so, let's see. Let's go back. Let's get a little nerdy again here. So, out of... Okay, here we go. Because we we we, we uh, listened to the sound of a film camera running for the opening of this, and it's, it's an old airy was it like an area f3 right is what that uh, is 435 435 okay it shows how how often i've used that ring <laughs> um but is there anything so we've seen you know change and radical change lately it seems to be changing every season at this point mm-hmm. with equipment is there is there a piece of gear that has always been your favorite is there a piece of gear that just it still lasts the test of time is there something that 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 has always been on your always been going out of your rental room you know what i mean
1: Boy, that's a tough one. That's I a good know. one. That's a good one, right? Um, well, the obvious answer would be lenses, I guess. Uh, you know, the this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, but lenses have um, sort of found a, a much more deep and resonant place in in uh, in what we do. You know, because when digital came out, um, you know, people were enamored with the idea that you could you could uh, uh, adjust the image in a in a million different ways. Um, the pendulum with digital always swings back to the organic and the analog. You know, it happened with CDs and and you see people listening to a vinyl right now. And the same thing is happening with, uh, and has been happening for quite a while with uh, with digital cinematography where the lens, uh, depending on what kind of lens it is, really informs the overall look of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and And certain lenses are known for certain attributes uh, whether it's whether it's a, a, a softness or or the way it renders skin tones or or uh, or the way the bokeh looks, you know, um, and that's something that that uh, wasn't quite as important back in the days of, of the film cameras, but now it's really uh, it's taken on a life of its own, mm. um, you know, which makes us as a as a rental c- company really regret. All the, all the film lenses that we sold you know twenty years ago when they were basically worthless uh, you know uh, Canon k 35s and and uh, I think we had a set of uh, mitchell's super super Baltars at one point. Oh, wow and uh, you know it just people would kill for those lenses right now. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's probably the main thing. I mean there's uh, there's products that um, you know the products I take note of are the ones that are Really important for their time, you know. Um, the most recent example was uh, probably the, uh, the the Canon C300. You know, it came in at a at a really um, perfect storm sort of time where uh, where people were just looking for that kind of color, uh, that kind of convenience, that form factor, and and uh, so that camera took off like crazy. Um, the original. Uh, the Sony F55 was another camera that, that came in just when it was needed, you know, something mm-hmm. in, in a mid price range, super high quality, lots of control over the, over the image. Um, you know, things like that. It, it, but I also just love staples, you know, like a, like an O'Connor 1030 head or, or Weaver Stedman head, you know, just stuff that's literally been around for 30, 40 years, um, you know, just solid, solid equipment that does what it's supposed to do and doesn't pretend to be anything else other than what it is, it's great.
0: I mean, I say that to a lot of young folks all the time, they ask, well, what kind of gear would you buy? I'm like, C-Stands. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> sure, like I have, sure. you know, I have a collection of like six C-Stands that I've had since I started, and mm-hmm. you know, I use them on every job, you know, and they've paid for themselves probably seven times, you know, and it's just, you know, it's, there's certain pieces of gear, that I feel like even 10 years from now, you're going to walk on a set and go, OK, that's still here. <laughs> this is a really well-made thing that's that's still kicking around.
1: Um, you're, you're making me wonder now what actually when the first C-Stand was invented. I don't know. We're going to have to find that out.
0: Yeah, that's an internet search. <laughs> that's an internet search.
1: Can, can, we, we, can we cut in a little piece later on when you edit this, after I've done the research, and I can pretend like I knew instantly <laughs> when the C-Stand was first invented? Can we do that?
0: John, that would be lying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't lie news. on this show, that's fake news. Yeah, okay, we won't do that. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but your, your points about lenses are really, um, is really on par, I think, because as a shooter, when I started, I came out like right when digital was kind of rolling out. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, you're either a, a real DP in quotes, and you're a guy that shoots film and that's what you do, and everybody that was shooting film at the time was like, you know, digital is just, it's home video cameras, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Um, And this was back when I was doing early film work with like a Canon XL1 or XL1S, and those cameras at that time just had that zoom lens where everything's in focus. Mm -hmm. It was a really difficult thing to actually use or or try to um, incorporate the, the language of cinema with something like that because it was just associated visually, you look at it and go, okay, this is TV or home video, you know? So we were always working little tricks where we're changing shutter speeds and we're trying like different adapters and then it got to putting glass on it. And then as a DP that was doing digital, I really started to respect the filter that light comes through and and how it changes the image and how it shaped the image. And even today, I, I, I still look at digital cameras as just the recording device you know what i mean it's like okay how am i going to take this beautiful picture and lay it down on something that is archived you know and and i Mm -hmm. you know you want the highest resolution possible for certain things sure you know megapixels blah 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 blah, blah, all that kind of crap but i really have a passion for lenses and i really have a passion for actually busted lenses like i love old school dirty dingy lenses because in my mind you know if you go if you get in the car with me and go for a ride. I haven't cleaned my windshield in like 6 months.
1: <laughs> For artistic reasons? No. <laughs> it's just life.
0: <laughs> it's just life like I'm I'm seeing the world through filthy glass all the time and you know and you know my eyesight gets a little weird sometimes and it, it, like you're always looking at the world through imperfect stuff and so when I see a lot of this new technology and I've seen some of these uh, the, these new lenses that are just too perfect and everything just feels too perfect and it, it's I can't connect with it it just it's almost like CGI at that point where you're looking at it going okay well you know this is obviously not real there's nothing real about what this is and I think that there's been a, uh, a trend in filmmaking where people feel like they need to correct all the imperfections that are that are caught while you're shooting because they feel like, for them, as a as a filmmaker, whenever you're doing anything and you're looking at your movie afterwards, you're like, oh, God, I fucked that up. Or this looks like shit. And, like, you, you're you so hyper-focused on those things. But you, you tend to forget that when you show it to an audience, as long as your characters are great, as long as your story is great, as long as you have the ability to charm folks with what you're telling, then they're going to be infatuated with what they look at, and they're going to subconsciously fall in love with that stuff. Like, if I go back and watch, like, Die Hard, which is one of my favorite films as a kid. Mm. There are moments like uh, when he takes a... Uh, I can't remember the bad guy. It's terrible. The uh, long-haired blonde guy. Hans
1: Gruber? No, the other, <laughs> the other yeah, one. He, he,
0: he, no. Tell Carl. Was it tell Carl your brother's dead? I think it was Carl. Um, and him and Bruce Willis are having like that like really brutal fight scene, and Bruce Willis wraps the chain around his neck, mm-hmm. and he like runs down the stairs, and he pulls the guy over, and the camera like bumps into stuff like six or seven times. And there's all these crazy lens flares that now everybody's like, well, I need to have those lens flares. But at the time it was like, well, there's a light in the shot and you got this lens flare just because that's what happens with the lenses. And so you watch it, it has so much character that now when I watch films, I feel like all that is missing from it. And you almost watch this stuff that's too perfect hmm. and you go, oh, I just don't believe that there was any human hands on any of this.
1: So could you draw a parallel between that and, music where where if the music is too perfect if it's um you know if there's no soul to it yeah then you can't really relate to it in the same way that that you relate to a live band for instance where where Mm -hmm. anything can happen and and sometimes you you have imperfections you know
0: i completely and and to go even further down that rabbit hole i i feel like with a lot of our entertainment now it's there isn't any sort of emotional context so i feel like uh, at this point i can right in the middle of our interview, I can pull my phone up and I can start watching anything. Like anything is at my disposal. Mm. And with music in particular, I had this conversation the other day. Um, I feel like the only time now that I have a real personal connection to music because I no longer can go into a store and like go through the process of pulling up albums and looking at albums and looking at artwork and feeling very connected physically to something. I feel like the only time I have that personal connection is if I go see someone live like if I go see an artist live I'll remember who they are I'll remember how I felt Um, but these days it's more like well I was listening to Spotify you know and and most of the time folks are like yeah I was just listening to Spotify I heard this great song on Spotify and there's this great Spotify channel and and you're like yeah but who's the artist and you know what is that like what are they trying to what's the story like who's the artist like I'm sure it's just a generational thing and I'm sure it's because I'm getting older John (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I just feel like I I have a lot more trouble connecting to music without that reality, without hearing those imperfections, without being there and seeing a musician that breaks his strings and still performs and you just don't even notice. Or going into uh, the last concert I saw was this band called Carpenter Brute. Me and Tony went and they just sort of do like this new retro wave sort of 80s vibe, synthy kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And we went and saw them. Uh, The Paradise here and I was not expecting them to play live So they had like a whole they do like the sort of synthy thing, but they had a guitarist They had a drummer and they had this bass sound That was specifically crafted to make my guts move You know and it's something that I mean, I always loved hearing their stuff online but when I went in there and I had this sort of visceral experience Of all these imperfections and really just because this one venue had this base set up it really changed my whole experience with these guys and and now they've gone from being sort of a digestible uh, piece of entertainment that I have daily you know fucking within you know every half hour to something that like fuck okay now they're in this new consciousness for me and now it's like okay I had this experience with them I had I, I was a part of it so now it means something more um, and I, I'm off on a tangent here, but I yeah. feel like that same sort of element can come across in your work as a filmmaker with all these imperfections and and with the way emotionally you feel when you're making something. And if you leave that emotion in your piece, then I feel like it, it's a lot easier to connect and remember what that piece is.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and for some reason I'm just thinking now about uh, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and and yes, it's an homage, and and yes, it it uh, capitalizes on work that's already been done, but but what you felt watching that series is is love and affection for those those movies, you know, the Spielberg movies, and Completely. and uh, you know, and you could feel that coming through, so it didn't feel uh, it didn't feel forced um, or clinical. It you could feel the emotion coming through, and and uh, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I I I I, I relate it to cooking, right? So if you, I like to cook for people because it's relaxing to me, and I I feel like it's one of the best emotional experiences that you can have with a stranger.
1: I feel like you should have been cooking for us right now. (laughs) I'm I'm actually getting hungry and I wish you'd brought some food.
0: Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm such a good host. Um, But I like that you can sit down with a stranger and you can sit down with a stranger that doesn't speak your language Mm -hmm. and you can cook a meal and you can share emotion with this person. You can share love. You can share respect. You can share anger. You can share this stuff with a meal. And I feel like someone can make me a meal that you know technically is terrible you know what i mean like it's burnt and salt too much salt or the, the seasonings off but mm-hmm. you're there to witness how they make it for you and that you witness that love and that affection that's put into it And it's fantastic it's better than anything that you could have yeah you know as opposed to going into a mcdonald's where you go into a mcdonald's you know these guys are underpaid you know that there's a lot of stress and anxiety in, in that work environment and so you're just eating that and you're going oh like this is not i mean sure it's satisfying one some sort of primal need that i have but ultimately yeah. i'm tasting all of that crap
1: that's there it's funny i'm not on facebook a lot but i have one rule and that is uh, you're not a friend of mine on facebook unless we've actually shared a meal together oh,
2: that's, awesome. that's a good that's rule. A, that's a good way
1: to, <laughs> to you know to keep it tight yeah that's fantastic you know. mm-hmm.
0: that's fantastic and yeah. Meals, I think, are so important. Like, before I do a project with a lot of folks that I'm working with, with crews or, or teams, I, I either want to share a meal with them or I either want, I, I'd like to cook with them because I think that it's the best way. It's the best way to break the ice.
1: One of my early jobs was as a prep cook in, uh, in the Verst House in Cambridge. Mm, oh no. So I'm just offering my services. If you need a prep cook, <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I cook, I cook too much these days. <laughs> these pants are tight at this point. Um, but yeah, okay, so we got off on a, a couple of really great tangents there. You know what, I think we should just wrap it out here. And uh, yeah. I want to thank you for letting us hang out um, today and talk to you about some stuff. And then really, let me get back in and just do a bit more plugging for you guys. Um, if you are in the Northeast, um, in Boston, obviously, but anywhere in the Northeast, and you're looking for a good place to rent from, Uh, Rule Boston Camera is definitely my favorite, but if you're not, like I said before in the beginning of this podcast, I feel like it is crucial for you to develop a relationship with your local rental company. And I say local meaning whoever's in your town, because ultimately you're going to get that connection that you're going to need. It's a fantastic resource for you. Um, There's a lot of learning that you can get and a lot of training that you can get from these guys. And then there's something just very comfortable For your clients to know that whatever is on set that unknown thing that constantly has its mind of its own and will go down is protected um, by a rental house Um, and actually you know learning is an interesting thing because you guys do you guys have the learning labs here right
1: yeah, we do um, almost weekly learning labs where um, you know we'll bring in a manufacturer to talk about uh, a particular product, or or one of our guys will do a, um, a learning lab on a set of products, sort of you know examining features and benefits of all the different types of, of things. And um, and I think that's you know for us again going back to relationships and being a part of the industry, it's it's always been really important for us to. Uh, to be as integral and as essential to the industry as as we possibly can be, and it's not just renting on a transactional basis. It's it's uh, being a part of the educational process. It's it's being part of the community, you know, supporting film festivals, uh, all that kind of stuff. And and uh, education is just one component, but it's a super important one.
0: It's actually smart too, because like you were saying, Dave, like you didn't know that this was available to you. Like rental houses mm-hmm. are available to you. And I know that it might be just a little daunting. I know in the beginning, for me, it was a little daunting to just sort of walk in as like a young, you know, arrogant whippersnapper walking in going, I'm going to make movies. Everybody come and help me out. Um, but, you know, having stuff like a learning lab. And if you are a local um, filmmaker or you want to be a local filmmaker, it's actually a good way to get in. Um, and meet you guys and actually meet the folks that work here and actually be able to stand around and have a good conversation. Like it's a good conversation starter, I think.
2: Yeah, that makes it uh, a lot more comfortable to as a young filmmaker to be able to come in and, uh, you know, one, need the gear, but then ask for it too. Um, you know, to have the ability to learn about it and from people who use it all the time.
1: Yeah, I think that actually that should be part of every film school, mm-hmm. um, and and we do teach classes for um, for some of the local colleges here. Uh, you know, uh, people come in on a field trip, and we'll explain what the role of a rental house is in uh, in film production today, and uh, because it, it's a relationship, and and if you don't know about it, uh, you know, it's easy to to uh, uh, step in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you understand what 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 we're here for and how we support you. Um, I, I think it, that's where the, uh, really beneficial relationships come out of.
0: You guys do a lot of internships here too, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, well, we're super proud of that. Um, we've been doing it for about 30 years and, uh, and we, you know, we take it really, really seriously. Um, and, and the education that our interns get is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a great way to get to know some really, really interesting, uh, young people.
0: How difficult uh, is it to get an internship
1: here? Well, there's only a few spots. Um, I think we do maybe six uh, during a given semester, and and we do a spring and a summer, and uh, a spring and a fall. Um, and uh, you know, it's it, you, you need to be interviewed, and and, uh, and you need to uh, comport yourself well, and and, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we bring you on, and and, uh, and then we we take our responsibility to train you really really seriously.
0: Yeah, because I've, I've known a lot of the interns that come, in, come out of here, and you do come out of here with such a an amazing understanding of how things work and how the pieces work and how the gear works. So, And I, I know that for a lot of folks, that is why they get into this business, is they want to get into the gear side, and they want to be very technical. And I know if you want to be an AC or if you want to be um, in camera department or even lighting department, then gear is your life, basically, and you need to know how all those things work. So mm. if you're a young a filmmaker out there, then... You know see if you can get in (laughs) and i think if you can't get into that then there are the learning labs and there are these different opportunities um to uh, become a part of what you guys do um so i think that's going to be i think that's going to do it right i think so all right is there anything that you want to plug john is there anything that you want to push
1: I want to plug you. I, I think you're doing a great job, and oh, so. and uh, and and I so appreciate what you're doing, and and I think it's uh, inspirational for a lot of people.
0: Well, thank you, man, and 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 for all of us. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to just hang out with people that I like, mm-hmm. really, and just I feel like we have these conversations all the time. Whenever I show up, and yeah. I have these conversations with other people, and I feel like just documenting them and putting them down. And if you're someone that has the patience to listen to an hour and a half long podcast while you're working out or on the bus, then perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a good way to to uh, to chew through your morning.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> preferably while
0: eating something, yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, thanks for being on the show,
0: uh, Dave. Thanks for being here. And of course. Then, Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of In Love With The Process. I highly suggest you go hang out and make friends with the guys at your local rental house. It will change the way you shoot your projects. Let me take a moment and catch you up on what I've been doing these days. I just finished up an awesome short film called The Chef's Night Off with Chef Paul DeRochers. That's Cooks on Instagram. It's a beautiful and dark piece on a chef preparing a meal for some dinner guests on his day off it was shot with most of the team from 12 cam and i can only describe it as a cooking show on the set of alien 3. (laughs) if that isn't an enticing reason to go watch it i don't know what is so you can either go to my website mikepecci.com or mcfarlane to check it out also be sure to follow me on instagram at mikepecci for behind the scenes coverage on all the latest projects you know the uh, chef's night off project uh, some of the new big stuff that i'm working on these days Um, And also, if you got some time, we finally updated it. If you go on over to Facebook and follow In Love With The Process, um, we put up a bunch of Photoshop during the taping of episodes, a lot of stuff that we did on our Vegas trip. And really, if you're curious about what it looks like when we record this show, then the In Love With The Process Facebook page is perfect for you. So once again, thanks for listening, and please remember to share these episodes. The more people that listen, the better the shows become. See you later.